Hello and welcome. You've tuned into Active Listening with T4 Tactics. I'm Marco Galbraith, your host, and our podcast is all about personal success and networking. We'll discuss small business tips, health and wellness issues, personal safety tips, financial gain, and a variety of other topics from professionals in the field. And once in a while, we'll throw in our area of expertise, firearm safety and active shooter response for businesses, churches, and schools. So sit back, relax, listen, and learn. Active listening with T4 Tactics. I recently had the opportunity to attend a briefing from the United States Secret Service National Threat Assessment Center regarding statistics from active shooter attacks in 2019. So I wanted to share some of that information with you to provide a better understanding of what may fuel such unthinkable incidents. The Secret Service examined 34 incidents of mass attacks in which three or more people, not including the attackers, were harmed. There were 37 attackers in public spaces in the United States between January 2019 and December 2019. In total, 286 people were injured and 108 people were killed. The attacks occurred on each day of the week and during every month of the year. Two-thirds of the attacks took place during the day and early evening between the hours of 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. As in many active shooter attacks, the attacks were short in duration. Most of the attackers used firearms and in many of those firearms were possessed illegally at the time of the attack. Many of the attackers experienced unemployment, substance use or abuse, mental health symptoms, or recent stressful events. The attackers often had a history of prior criminal charges of domestic violence. Many of the attackers had exhibited behavior that elicited concern from family members, friends, neighbors, classmates, co-workers, and others, and in many cases, those individuals feared for the safety of themselves or others. This is why every facility absolutely must have a properly trained working threat assessment team combined with a risk management approach. Out of the 37 attackers, 24 used firearms, 6 used a bladed weapon, 4 used a vehicle, and 3 used a blunt object such as a baseball bat, there were one guy used scrap metal, uh, another used a glass bottle. 34 attacks uh, occurred in 21 states. Of these, 59% took place in public spaces that are freely accessible to the general population. And this was sidewalks, restaurants, retail stores, and a gas station. The remaining 41% took place in semi public sites such as workplaces, schools, churches, and military bases. The types of locations most frequently impacted were places of business or service. The remaining locations included three educational institutions, a high school, a K-12 public charter school, uh, one university, two churches, a residential complex, and one commercial bus line. A more detailed example of attack locations in 2019 was six service sites including an automobile service center, uh, a property management company, plasma center, plumbing company, a cemetery, and a bank. There were four retail sites, a super center, which was Walmart in Texas, we know that, beer and wine store, gas station, and a small supermarket. Three bar or restaurant type settings, uh, one manufacturing facility, and the municipal building in Virginia Beach that we know about. So you can see active shooters don't discriminate. They attack a variety of locations. One attack in 2019 targeted a bar district and lasted only 32 seconds, yet resulted in nine individuals being killed and 20 injured. 32 seconds. 
This is why it's absolutely critical that we get a planned, trained, practice response. There's no time to freeze, edit things out, or hesitate in your reaction. Most of the attacks average a time frame of about 15 minutes. However, the longest attack, uh, December 10th, lasted three hours and 26 minutes. 75% of the incidents, uh, the attackers directed harm at random persons, 75%. 44% of the attackers left the scene on their own. Four actually called 911 to report their attack and identified themselves as the perpetrator. Remember in our active shooter presentations, we spend some time talking about predatory violence. Many of these attackers are proud of what they've done and are pleased to claim full responsibility. Eight of the attacks were brought to an end by law enforcement, intervening um, at, the, at the scene. Five of these incidents, the attackers were killed by law enforcement. The remaining attacks ended when the attacker's weapon became inoperable. The motivation for these attacks often, the, the attacks often were multidimensional. So most attacks in 2019 were directly related to grievances, mental health symptoms, and ideological or racial bias. Nine of the attackers were influenced by or showed interest in past perpetrators of mass violence. This is why we must be aware of the copycat period, pre-attack indicators, and the complex developmental stages of an active shooter. Many of the attackers put out on social media posts uh, information they told friends or documented their intentions. Uh, at least six of the attackers made statements or prior in, in uh, prior behaviors that indicated they didn't intend to survive their attack. Among the six attackers, four committed suicide after engaging the attack. The average age of the, of the attackers uh, vary. So on November 14, 2019, a 16-year-old male on his birthday opened fire at his high school. On October 3, 2019, an 80-year-old resident walked in into a senior living facility complex and opened fire. Seventy of the attackers experienced or were about to experience a job loss prior to their attacks. Four Four of the unemployed attackers experienced a job loss within a year of the attack. Some were terminated, others quit. 46% of the attackers had a history of illicit drug use, cocaine, methamphetamine, uh, LSD, and ecstasy. Some were plagued with prescription medications. We saw Xanax, uh, Adderall. 41% of the attackers abused these narcotics to the point where it caused negative effects in their personal life. 51% of the attackers had a criminal history, charges ranging from minor traffic ticket violations, uh, nonviolent arrests. Some of the attackers had extensive criminal histories before even reaching the age of 30. Nearly half of the attackers had a history of violence towards others, but only a few of them faced criminal charges for the behavior because they weren't reported. 13 of those attackers uh, had domestic violence within their history, Some re uh, again, unreported by their victims. The most common symptom of mental health issues experienced by the attackers were psychotic symptoms including hallucinations, uh, paranoia, and delusions. The next most common symptom was uh, depression. Five attackers had a history of suicidal thoughts. A hallucination or sensory perception um, to them seems real but occurred without any external stimulation. So the most common type of hallucination uh, is audio and as in hearing voices. 
Next is paranoia or feeling of persuasive distress, suspension as one is being harmed, deceived, persecuted, or exploited by others. This has been very common in other attacks we've had throughout the country. Remember, many of these attackers feel they're being uh, or have been victimized in some form. Delusions are false beliefs that are firmly maintained despite evidence to the contrary. A quarter of the attackers experience symptoms of depression prior to the attack. Symptoms of depression may include insomnia, changes in appetite, feeling of sadness, difficulty concentrating, and thoughts of suicide. Some of the attackers suffered from fixations. 19% had fixations as an intense obsession or preoccupation with a person, activity, or belief to the point that it negatively impacted aspects of their lives. 87% of the attackers had at least one significant stressor occur within five years leading up to the attack. Could have been a family member uh, or a family uh, romantic relationship issue, social interactions such as being bullied or ending a relationship with a friend, work or school issues, um, a recent contact with law enforcement, and personal issues such as being evicted, being homeless, struggles with sexuality, being assaulted, or physical injury. 54% had a history of financial instability within five years of the attack. Indicators for this may include an inability to sustain, to sustain employment, loss of income, and being evicted. Many of the attackers had a history of negative home life factors. 24% of them included some form of adverse childhood experience, such as the untimely death of a parent, physical or sexual abuse. 10 of the 37 attackers had experienced a triggering event prior to the attack. This including having their rent increased, being evicted, being kicked out of a business, or being fired from a job. Let me elaborate for a minute on the guy uh, that was kicked out of the business. He was acting inappropriately in this, in this establishment, and the manager asked him to leave. He left. A short time later, he came back to the business and started killing people. It could be as simple as that. This is why you must have a planned practice response to an attack. 65% engaged in prior threatening or concerning communications. This is what we don't ignore. 57% made some type of communication in the form of written, visual, verbal, online statements that was not an obvious threat, but was ignored by others. 41% exhibited changes in behavior that were noticed by others, including newer increased substance abuse, feeling of depression, um, isolating from family, friends, engaging in self-harm, or quitting a job or withdrawing from school. 30% of the attackers self-identified or were described by others as withdrawn loners or antisocial. Now I know many of you are, are, are listening to this, watching this, and, uh, and saying I know somebody that, that fits this description. Maybe you do. A behavior change does not necessarily indicate someone is planning a mass attack. It does though provide a window of opportunity to engage with that individual, gather insight into what behavior change occurred, and identify the appropriate responses. Just because someone has changed their habits or lifestyles, as I've mentioned above, uh, before, doesn't necessarily mean that they're on a path towards violence. So the takeaway of this video, and what I want managers, employees, HR professionals, church leaders, pastors, and more to be aware of, is that the majority of the attackers had significant stressors within five years 
over half had financial instability. Most of the attackers had prior threatening or concerning communication. About half had a history of drug abuse, criminal charges, and violence towards others. Just under half uh, had threatened someone in the past and had an unusual home life at the time and exhibited changes in behavior. Some of the attackers were unemployed, considered isolated, withdrawn, or loners, and had experienced a triggering event or subscribed to ideological or hateful beliefs and had an adverse childhood experience. In order to avoid future attacks, this information must properly be disseminated and understood. A large portion of previous attacks in this country, attacks in this country could have been avoided had proper threat assessment team training and risk management been implemented. Open communication and teamwork at every facility is paramount. Special thanks to the professionals uh, at the National Threat Assessment Center, Center for the Research, uh, Publication of Mass Attacks in Public Spaces, 2019, U.S. Secret Service, Department of Homeland Security. Thank you for this information. Stay safe, everyone. Reduce injuries and save lives with proper training and scholarly information.